0: Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and we are reading a number of passages actually and allow me please to read all of them, all right, First Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1 to 8 and also we'll read chapter 2 verse 10 to 20 and then we will then finalize by going to chapter 2 verse 18. All right, it's a long passage but I felt it would be good for me to read it for you. It reads as follows, Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord Jesus, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Notice that. So that you became examples of all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not cease to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. So obviously, these Christians in Thessalonica received the preaching of the gospel from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They received it well, and it looks like God was working mightily among them. Go to chapter 2 then from verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men. But as it is truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. So I want us to focus on that verse 18. 18. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And I want to speak under the title, what should you do when your plans seem hindered? Now, we know that Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and we are told by Bible historians that the letter was written around 51 AD. It's helpful, therefore, for us to give a little bit of background to trace the location of where Paul was with his companions as this correspondence was going to Thessalonica. Now, most of what I'm going to trace is found in Acts chapter 17, but we won't read that Just for the sake of time. First of all, we know that Paul and Silas fled from Thessalonica and they fled to Berea because there was great persecution that came against the church and that came against them in their ministry. It's possible that Timothy stayed in Thessalonica but went back to Philippi to rejoin Paul and Silas in Berea. Secondly, we also know that then after that, Paul fled to Athens from Berea because there was persecution there. So he left Silas and Timothy in Berea. That's in Acts chapter 17. Everything I'm reading about, I'm talking about is in Acts 17. Then later on, we find that Paul sent the word back to Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens. And so we find that Timothy then rejoined Paul at Athens and that's when Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica. At this stage, we don't know where Silas was. Silas is not mentioned. Then we are told that later on, Paul then moved to Corinth. Silas and Timothy then joined Paul later. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Thessalonians and sent it there. We are told that he wrote the first letter, which is 1 Thessalonians. Six months later, around AD 51, 52, he sent the second letter to the Thessalonians in response to further information he had received about the church. Now, that's just a little bit of a background. Thessalonica was a bustling seaport city. And if you look it up, look it up on the map, it's actually at the head of what they call the Themaic Gulf. It was a very important place, an important space, because it was... From a communication and trade center, it was strategically positioned. We are told that at this time, they had a population of about 200,000 people. Now, 200,000 people these days doesn't sound much, but in those days, 200,000 people was quite a lot. In fact, we are told that this became the largest city in Macedonia. Not only that, Thessalonica was also the capital province in the area. And so it was a very huge city. Paul had left Thessalonica very abruptly when you read in Acts 17 after he had just had a brief stay. He was working for God, ministering the gospel, reaching people, doing what God had told him. Now you would think that if you obey God and you do what God had told you, Satan would leave you alone. You would make the assumption that, you know, a sign of being in God's will is that you're going to have a life that is problems free. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Paul was obeying God. Paul was doing what God had told him to do. I mean, he was enduring affliction and and all kinds of things. But in spite of that, he had to run. It's amazing that when he was attacked, it looks like God did not protect the brother. It looks like God didn't come to the defense of the brother. The brother had to run away. Now, if it was some of us, we would have stopped what we are doing. If it was some of us, we would have said, if what I'm doing is in the will of God, why is God allowing this to happen to me? If it was some of us, we would have said, if God is with me, what am I going to do? And so Paul then, instead of... uh, you know, being sad and going into depression, he writes a letter. So he writes a letter to these converts because there were recent converts in Thessalonica who had turned back from paganism. Many of them had turned to God with all their hearts as we read and they were following God with all their hearts. But because Paul had to leave abruptly, they were left without support in the midst of persecution. So Paul writes this letter with four things in mind. Number one, he wants to encourage the new converts in their trials. He wants to tell them, even if you're born again, trials will come. But when trials come, you don't walk away from God. You don't turn your back on God. You still keep going on anyhow. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Number two, he's writing to these converts to give them instructions about godly living. He's telling them, no matter how hard things get for you, don't go back to your old way of living. No matter how much people forsake you and malign you, don't go back to your old way of living. Thirdly, he is urging some of them that now that you are born again, don't stop working. Because some of them felt that now that they're born again, and that the Lord will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory, then I mustn't work. And Paul says, hey, and Lord, if you don't work, you don't eat, eh? You must go back to work, whether upelousis or awapelousa. Anybody you know who are not working because, okay, let's not go that way. But then also Paul, in the chapter 4, he's also telling them about, giving them the assurance about the future of believers who pass on before Christ returns. And he's giving them that exhortation. But in our main text, which I want to focus on, we see Paul and his companions how much they wanted to go back to Thessalonica. Paul says, it's not only once when we tried to come back, it's twice, we've tried again and again, but we experienced obstacles in his words, but Satan hindered us. Have you ever pursued something that you believed it was God's will for your life? And yet it seemed like obstacles keep coming and they keep coming your way to stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Paul is going through this in his life. Have you ever driven on a road for a very long way to your destination only to discover that just when you are about to arrive at your destination, the road is blocked? I went to preach at a, a police academy in Pretoria, you know, and you know we were following the, 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 the direction on the, what, the Google Maps, you know. So, you know, they, we didn't know since COVID, you know, they have blocked the entrance and there's an alternative entrance. So, you know, uh, Brutimantale drove ahead of us. And so he was almost like 30 minutes ahead of us. Where is Tatemkant? Oh, here he is. He was almost 30 minutes ahead of us. And we thought we we're going to find him there. Funny enough, as we came closer to the venue, he was parked on the side of the road. So we wanted to know, bro, what's up? You know, because we were also following... Oh, sorry, I can't say that. I know I'm a pastor. I can't talk like that. But we wanted to know, why are you not there? I mean, you were 30 minutes ahead. Only to find that, the, you know, the, the Google Maps was taking him on this route where he went through this particular road that was at another alternative entrance point. He drove for a long time, only for the road to be blocked at a certain point when he was just about to enter. I mean, he could just see... The place where the academy, just that side, he's on this side, you know, and and he was blocked. So he had to drive all the way back. He lost 30 minutes of his travel time. You know, sometimes we don't lose 30 minutes of our travel time. We lose weeks, we lose months, we lose months because Satan has blocked us. This is what Paul is saying. is that Satan is creating this barrier. The road is blocked. As a result, Paul is saying, we had to turn around. We had to go back. We had to find another route to get to where we are going. He uses the word, Satan hindered us. That word hindered, in Greek it's spelled E-G-K-O-P-T-O. E-G-K-O-P-T-O. But it's pronounced enkopto. Satan enkopto us. And that word encapto means to cut in. Figuratively, it means to impede, to detain, to hinder, to be tedious unto those of you who live in Soweto or anywhere. You 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 know you've had a you have had, had an experience of your, your encopto, a taxi encopted you when you're driving down the road, and a taxi just cut in. Paul is saying, I was driving down the road and Satan just encoped me, he just cut in. Paul is using this term to describe hindering forces that keep coming our way in on our way of destiny. There's no doubt that what Paul means here is that he wasn't just encoped once but twice. And when he was encoptered, he was in God's will. He was trying to do what God had told him. But in spite of that, he was cut in. He was blocked. And so the journey became filled with unexpected bumps and obstacles. That Paul had to turn back. He had to turn around. He had to rethink his strategy. How am I going to reach the church in Thessalonica? But this word encopto also means something else. It's also used in an athletic sense. It was used to portray the moment when a runner comes alongside another runner and literally elbows them out of the race. I was talking to one of our young people who's on the technical team, and I was telling them about a story that happened in 1984. Now, and, and, I, and I didn't realize, you know, hey, after 1984, we're going to lose to many of you. You don't even know what we're talking about. And it was quite a sad event, you know. We had uh, our star, a young lady by the name of Zolabad, who grew up on a farm, was a great runner, this young girl. And uh, she was set up to go and compete in the 1984 Olympics. And she was running against an American runner by the name of Mary Decker. And, uh, and an, an unfortunate incident happened. They claimed that our Zolabad and Cop taught Mary Decker. Because as they were running around the field, you know, she tried to come in into her lane and they claimed that she tripped Mary merideka fell. I don't agree. I'm a South African. I support South African. I'm sorry. Our stars all didn't do anything wrong. But they claimed that she elbowed the other one out of the way. In other words, even if the second runner is running a good race, they get shoved out of the way by the aggression of the fellow runner. This is what Paul is saying. I'm running. I'm on the race. I'm doing what's right, but Satan comes and he shoves me out of the way. And as a result of this action, the runner who is elbowed, you lose your leading edge. Instead of winning the race, you get disqualified, or you don't win at all, or maybe you pick up an injury. Paul understood these tricks. He's saying the enemy has really tried to make use of dangerous, unexpected bumps along the way to throw me off the track, elbow me from my spiritual race. In fact, Paul was convinced that Satan has specifically engineered these unforeseen, unanticipated hassles that keep coming on his way to stop him from his mission of reaching the church in Thessalonica. So when you take these two ideas of the cutting in and the elbowing and you combine these two ideas, the the primary thing that you realize is Satan hinders us. He creates an impasse. He creates a position from which we can't escape. He creates a roadblock so severe that it prohibits us from going where we are supposed to go. And he comes to us with such an aggression as to elbow us, of course, in our spiritual race. But Paul wasn't going to give up. In spite of all of that, Paul wasn't going to give up. He said, if I can't go there physically, I will make my voice go there in the form of a letter. If I can't go there myself, I will send my son Timothy. Nothing is going to stop me. How many of you are saying nothing is going to stop me? should learn that when our plans seem hindered we don't give up we don't play dead we don't feel sorry for ourselves we don't start asking questions that we shouldn't be asking Okay, do do I hear an amen in the house yes I know we're coming from a difficult time of lockdown and COVID-19 it has happened to the whole world by the way it's not only us There's millions of people who have been affected. But sitting there and feeling sorry for ourselves is not going to help us at all. You've got to get up and say, even if I have been hindered, I'm going to get up by the power of the living God. Can I hear an amen? And Paul says, even if he has hindered me, I'm going to write this letter. We have to get to a point, sisters and brothers, where we do what God has called us. Challenges or no challenges. Hindrances or no hindrances. We've got to understand that the path that we have taken is not an easy path. But thank God that we are not alone. God said he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God's not going to be able to help you if you don't get up and start doing things for yourself. So many people, they want God to deliver them, but they're not having any, any intention of doing anything in their lives. You know, in the first week when we opened, there were people who were giving so many excuses about not coming to church. And I realized that people have gotten into the habit of loafer's cup. If if your neighbor doesn't know what loafer's cup is, just explain to them what loafer's cup is. Tell them loafer's cup is what you were doing when you were not here. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Now, what should we do when our plans seem hindered? I want to give you seven things that we must do. I won't be able to cover them today, and so we will cover them today, next week and week after next. Seven things that we must do when your plans seem hindered. Let me go through all seven of them, and then I'll come back to explain each one of them. The first thing you must do is to put up a fight of faith. You know, I don't know Bazalana. We have softened Christianity. We've made it so nice. That, you know, when we are Christians, we ought to be nice and soft, and you even see it in the movies when they depict Jesus. They depict this guy who is very frail, speaks in a monotone voice, he looks like he has no healthy self esteem. I mean, the I mean, and his crony, he's not even doesn't even look like Schwarzenegger. You must think about this, think about this. When Jesus came to Jerusalem and he found his countrymen selling in the temple, the Bible says he took a whip and he drove them out. drove, go and read it. He drove them out, drove them. oh, drove them. I mean the, the, the way he was, his disciples could not believe or how. We are Sweet Jesus. And the Bible says, listen to me, the Bible says, it says, and no man would dare stand against him. Ah, yeah. nah, you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Now, now, I, I love what some of, the, some of the authors say. You know, there's one guy who writes, several of them, they, they try to say, you know, many of us, when we think about Jesus, we, we look at him through the, the spiritual glasses that television gives us. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. How many of you remember that? Okay. He was, before he started preaching his ministry, he was a carpenter by trade. And those days, carpenters did not have power tools. You didn't have your chainsaws and your drills. And every, every, every piece of equipment you used was manual. You had to use real raw strength and raw power. Now, you know, I look at it when you travel the continent. Many of the places where people use a lot of manual labor... If you go see those guys, that are well-developed. Even if they don't go to Virgin Active. In fact, they look better than many of you who... No, 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 let's not say that. But you see, the guys just from raw manual labor, they are strong. So, Jesus being a carpenter, he must have been very strong. I'm sure that's when he walked in there, I think those guys said, I'm not going to mess with this one. (laughs) But we need to learn to put up a fight of faith. The Bible says, fight... The good fight of faith. Faith is a fight. We are not fighting with people. We are not wrestling with people. We are wrestling against principalities and powers. But we've got to learn to put up the fight of faith. I'm going to explain it fully what a fight of faith is about. The second thing that we need to do, if we're going to not allow our plans to be hindered, is to remember That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Did you hear what that scripture says? The weapons of our warfare. Weapons, weapons, not toys. Weapons. (laughs) Weapons are used by soldiers. Weapons are meant to, to inflict serious harm and serious damage. If we are dealing with weapons, we've got to be strong people. And we've got to understand that the stakes are high. We've got to understand that if we don't put up a fight, we will never go anywhere in our lives. We've got to make up our minds. We are not retreating. We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We're going to put up a fight. But our fight is not carnal. It's not fleshly. But our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Number three: the third thing we need to learn is not to cast away our confidence. We shouldn't let our confidence wane. Our confidence in God's word mustn't wane, mustn't die out. We'll be dealing with those in detail. You've got to understand that you have to make a stance. And believe what God says in spite of how you feel. You've got to make up your mind. You're not going to throw away your confidence in God's word. Even if the circumstances are preaching a different sermon to you. You've got to make up your mind that God is true. And if God is true, every man is a liar. God said it, that settles it. And I believe it. Number four, we need to keep. Check on our words. The words we speak. I'm going to show you how the words we use are like a double-edged sword. I'll explain that in detail. How you need to learn to use the power of your words. That in your days of discouragement, when things are not going well, you guard the words of your mouth. Guard what you say when you are feeling frustrated. Guard what you say about you and to you. When things are not going well. Learn to teach your mouth to be restrained. Even if everything around you is preaching something different. Learn to say something different with your mouth. Can I hear a good amen in the house? Can I hear a good amen in the house? I'm talking about what we should do when plans seem hindered. Number five. We need to learn to protect our soul from being weary. A soul can get tired, particularly when the battle is long. When you've experienced lots of disappointment, when you've had to have a lot of startups, when you've had to turn too many times and there's too many roadblocks, you get to a point where you get tired. We must guard against a weary soul. Number six, you need to learn to hold on to your vision because there's something about roadblocks that can kill your vision. There's something about being elbowed out of your race that it can kill your vision. I love what Pastor Ray likes to say. He says, and I quote, be led by your vision instead of being pushed by circumstances, end of quote. We need to be led by our vision. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Just two more weeks, by the way. Next week and week after next week, we'll cover all those seven points. And the seventh point is decide to be a finisher. Decide that you're going to be the last woman standing. The last man standing. I am going to be a finisher. If they, if they stop, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep on. If they give up on it, I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to be the last woman standing. I'm going to be the last man standing. This is why, Basalana. when you decide you want to see your life go in a different direction, you don't have to consult a group of people. You don't have to consult what your friends are saying. You've got to make up your mind that even if they desert me, even if they walk away from me, I'm going to be the last woman standing. I'm going to be the last man standing. If my family desert me, it's okay, but I'm going to stay on this path and I'm going to see you through. Can I hear an amen in the house? Decide to be a finisher. Let's conclude. Paul says, even if Satan created an impasse that kept me from coming to see you. Even if Satan has put obstructions in my path to prevent me from getting to you even if Satan has cut in on me and prohibited me from visiting you as I wanted to do even if Satan tries to elbow his way in on me to keep me from coming to you I will not despair Paul is saying the story is not over until God says it's over Paul says, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to throw in the towel. Listen to me, Bazelon. When you read throughout history, every plan that God has had, Satan has always tried to intervene and stop it. You can go as far back as the book of Genesis. Every plan, every vision that God has had, Satan has always tried to intervene and stop it. But this is what I found out. Even if God's plan takes long, Even if it may not come at the time when we're expecting, the devil will never have the last word on anything. Let me tell you who's going to have the last word. Our God is going to have the last word. I said our God is going to have the last word in every situation. And so I want you today to make the declaration and remind yourself. That what God has promised me in my life, it will come to pass. Even if it takes long, even if I'm experiencing roadblocks, even if I'm being elbowed out, what God has said in my life will come to pass. Even if I have to use an alternative route, even if it takes me longer than what I was hoping, even if it costs me more than what I was thinking, but what God has said will come to pass in my life. Raise your hands and just worship him for a while, everybody. Thank you for his word. Rabababa sekabresakoro de rabahamo. Mangembresakoro de rabahala brosetaba. Re debresakoro de brehadabos. Ngemandambrosakoro de brehala brosakoro de. E gabresakoro des zetra sarbada hala brekatera setababa. Mama mandom brekatera de sakardo retsete. O Rebecca brosas to rabakar bedegradesete. Oh de Deborah Socorrode Casa, thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that your plans for our lives will always be fulfilled. No matter what it is that Satan brings our way, you will always have the last word, and so we are determined to see the process through the name of Jesus.